0: Hi, you're listening to Eternal Stance. I hope this message inspires you to live in light of eternity. Today you came to hear about Jesus. Um, and I love what, what Pastor um, Vasily said, that the only thing that your life will be measured by is not necessarily the things that you have and uh, the things that you're going through, but how did you respond to what Jesus has said about himself? That is the ultimate question that all of us will have to answer. So today, if you've been coming here for quite some time, you know already that we are going through the book of James and it's kind of hard to preach through a book because you have to deal with some passages that normally you don't deal with. It's nice to come and say, I'll preach about this and I'll preach about this, right? But at the end of the day, when you go through a book, there are some passages that you really have to deal with and this James five, uh, this is the last chapter that we're going through, uh, 1 through 12. Is one of those passages that just sort of throws a bucket of cold water on you, right? And brings you uh, to, uh, to, to your senses. So James 5, 1 and 2 says this, Look here. You rich people weep and groan with your anguish because all the terrible thing or troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you are counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment for listen, Hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated on their pay. The cries of those who, har- who harvest your fields have reached to the ears of the Lord's hev- heaven's armies. You have spent your years uh, in earthly uh, luxury, satisfying your desires. You have fattened yourself for the day of the slaughter. Well, there's a sentence for you. Um, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you, are for the, uh, as you wait for the Lord. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the value harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For example, of, uh, for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look onto the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure and under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man who, uh, of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him in the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Amen. Well, um, I'm not sure about you, but there's only one time I remember in kindergarten that there's this one incident that happened. It's funny because I don't really remember much of kindergarten, but this one moment I do remember, and I do remember it very vividly. Uh, it was my teacher decided that we we're gonna go on a field trip, and when you're in kindergarten, you hold hands and you kind of walk in rows. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like you walk in rows, and I had to like I, I was kind of one of those kids that's extremely distracted by anything shiny. Um, so I was sort of kind of looking around, and to my credit, I was thinking uh, I do remember this, which is kind of crazy to think about that I still remember this, but I did I, I did think about God, namely how and who made God and as I'm walking right as I'm walking I'm just kind of looking around and and I'm kind of like all over the place and I just remember this particular thing that happened where I just kind of heard this clank and then just a sharp pain right here right in my forehead you know and then it turned everything turned black and I remember waking up and then I'm surrounded by just a whole bunch of my peers a whole bunch of kids Turns out, I walked into a pole, <laughs> and what I do remember is that uh, even though the pole was skinny, skinnier than me, like it won, no hands down, I was on the floor, the pole was still standing, but I remember that specific moment of just kind of encountering it, and I don't remember anything past that other than me waking up. I don't think I had a concussion, but it took me a while to recover. Um, now, I know you guys are laughing at this because you're like, wow, you walked into a sign. That's, that's, but I'm sure you've had things like that. You were distracted maybe on your phone and you either walked into a door or you did something with your car. You almost like, or, you, by the way, you shouldn't be texting and driving. I'm just saying uh, public announcements. But like, you've done something like that. Well, I think the book of James is kind of like that sign that you have your theology and the book of James is just kind of comes and slaps you and says, you know, he's just so practical about things. He doesn't give you this high theology and like, what do you think about predestination? No, he's just saying, Hey, you need to control your tongue. You need to make sure that your tongue is not under control of your old sinful nature. Hey, you need to make sure that the faith that you're proclaiming every single day when you come to church, the faith that you're saying that you are saved by, it needs to work. It needs to actually have fruit in your life. This idea that you've been saying that you believe in Jesus, but nothing in your life is changing. You you can't go on like that. And then you come here and he he has a major problem with people that have taken what, you know, let's, let's kind of put it, put this in perspective. James is the brother of Jesus. As you all know, we've been talking about this. And obviously he's the younger brother. He's kind of like a half brother. And, and what's happening is as he grows with Jesus, you know, Jesus starts to claim that he is God. Now, if your older brother, my older, my oldest brother is here. If he claimed that he was God, uh, I would have a very hard time believing, meaning, believing that, right? So his older brother starts to claim that he's God. Now, some people might think, well, that's kind of crazy. And you know, you've, you've, you've seen people before that claim they're God, you know, people that they're crazy. They say they're, god and the next day they're napoleon the next day they're a cup like you know it's kind of those things right like where they can be anything and jesus is claiming that he is god i would have a hard time believing if my brother did that but you know what changed everything jesus resurrected himself from the dead when jesus resurrected himself from the dead it got everyone's attention and james like okay well that okay this is serious like this is serious. What Jesus is saying is true. Now, now Jesus resurrects from the dead, and then he goes, and, and they have kind of like after a certain amount of time, Jesus is elevated to heaven, and as they're standing there, there's two angels. So I, we think they're angels. They appear and says, uh, you know, why why are you guys waiting? Uh, Jesus will come back, right? So so the church in this time is in this waiting period, and they're waiting every single day that Jesus will show up anytime. And then by the time he writes this, it's been about 30 years. So people start to mock and people are like, okay, well, Jesus said he should be back by now. It's been 30 years. And so people are starting to getting distracted a bit. And then you, that's how this is sort of set up where the first part of this chapter, you know, you have some people that they come to church not to encounter Jesus and to worship, but to flaunt their wealth. Not only that, but people start to lose the fear of God. Now, if you look throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament is full of stories of people walking after God. And then they kind of like me, like, oh, and start getting distracted. And one day you start getting distracted. They walk away from the Lord. And not only that, but they, they start to be, you know, pursuing wealth, power, fame, you know, all these things. And they're willing to do anything to get it. Not only are they pursuing the wrong thing, but they become corrupt because if you p- pursue anything, uh, uh, Timothy Keller says that our heart is a factory of idols. If you're not worshiping Jesus, you'll be worshiping something else. Is what he is saying. So, so when you start to di- get it distracted by the the latest shiny car and the latest shiny house, uh, I don't think they had cars back then. So. Uh, donkeys and chariots, I don't know. Like when they start to get distracted by the wealth of the land, they started to kind of not worship Jesus anymore, but worship this. And now they still claimed, a lot of them still claim that they're still Christians. But they would go and they would they would defraud the people that worked for them. Now, if you've been defrauded by anyone, if you worked for any contractor, and they didn't pay your wage, where they didn't pay you what they were supposed to, you know how much that hurts. I remember like when I, uh, I I was building this this house and I needed some like cheap labor if you know what I mean, like people that just like do a whole bunch of demolition, so I hired a whole bunch of my my friends, you know because that's what you do. but you know, I really wanted to be fair with them, and i i I remember I used to pay them way more than anything else they would get anywhere else, and the reason I did that is because. Now, it wasn't really good for me because I was trying to cut cut costs on like building this house. But when I was paying them, I would remember the time when I had my first job and I was doing so much work and I was trying so hard. And in two weeks, I got fired because apparently it wasn't good enough. And I was getting minimum wage. And I was like, but I need gas to get home. (laughs) Like it it was just, I remember those moments, how difficult it is to be broke and to be cheated. And this is where we arrive here, where James just sort of proclaims and he goes, look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of your terrible troubles ahead of you. You Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The wealth you are counting on uh, will eat away your flesh like fire. That is some strong statements in there. Now is is being rich wrong? No. We see there's plenty of people in the Old Testament that they're rich. Talk about Job. Even though he lost everything and then gained it all back, double that. Right? Like we see Abraham was rich. Right? What he's talking about here is people that are pursuing riches instead of Christ. People that have made it a pursuit to 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 put their hope in things that are eaten by moths and things that are kind of decaying. Now I think some of the most sobering places you can spend eating your lunch is the cemetery and the dump, the trash place. Because the cemetery, it'll give you a pretty fresh reality on, on your own life and how fragile life is and how finite all of us are. And the dump, you'll go and see all your beloved stuff. You know, like that thing that you had to get on sale, like that thing that now is just like, just piles and piles of trash. It gives you a really good perspective on the use of things. So, so what well, James is saying, look, if you put your trust in your money, and your possessions, you will rot away. If you are pursuing that, it's, it's gonna fail you. It amazes me. Now, a lot of you guys are sitting this morning, you're like, well, that's not for me because I'm poor. So this message is not for me. (laughs) I'm good. But to put this in perspective, if you make $25,000 a year, which most people here will probably make that, you're in the top 2% in the world when it comes to wealth. You make more money than 98% of the people in the world. So yeah, by the world standard, you are rich. We are rich. Take that to complain to someone about <laughs> your troubles, right? Like, we drive nice cars, we have nice houses. Uh, as far as, I'm, as I know, most of you ate this morning, or at least if you didn't eat it because you chose not to eat. Right, so, so I'm not here to sort of have this tirade against money and riches because money at the end of the day is not, like is, money's is amoral, it's, it, it, there's, money's not evil, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. It's when you pursue money instead of pursuing Christ. You see, money is a great slave, a great servant, but it's a horrible master. When you start to look at money to serve others with it, it's a great tool. But the moment you use people to get money because money is your master, that's problematic. Now, now James is not saying something new here. Jesus talked all over the Bible about this. For example, in uh, Matthew 6:19, he says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths will eat them. What do you think James got the idea about moths eating them, right? and rust destroys them, and where thieves break and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and uh, rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break and steal. Wh- whenever your, whatever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your whole body or your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is full of darkness and the light you think you have is actually darkness. How deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either for you will hate one and love the others. You will not be devoted to one and despite the other. Well, you will be devoted to one and despite the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Jesus makes it very clear that money makes a horrible master now you might think well slavic i know that i know but we need money of course use money to serve people because the next thing that james goes into he says this your gold and silver verse 3 are corroded, the very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure that you have hoarded will testify against you. So the first problem that he has is hoarding. Nobody is having a problem with you meeting your needs is when we start to hoard things. When we start to find our identity in things, here's how you know you've been hoarding things. If you've been using a storage facility, more than just moving, most likely you have too much stuff. And if you have a 4,000 square foot house and you open the garage and there's nowhere to park your car, most likely you have too much stuff. You now, I, I, not from the Lord' command, but from me, i would really hope that you embrace minimalism. Just don't be like me, because I, I maybe we're extreme. We only have one fork in the house, and my friends complain about this. But like, <laughs> but nobody is saying that you shouldn't meet your needs. What we're talking about is hoarding. It is when you keep on getting. Oh, I got to get bigger, bigger houses, bigger barns, big, you know, because I have to keep my newest car, and so on and so forth. All of that will one day be in junkyard. All of that will be in a tr- trash place. So his first problem is not necessarily with you using money to fulfill your needs. is you hoarding things. Me hoard- hoarding things. So he goes on to say, the corroded treasures you have hoarded will testify against you on judgment day. That is sobering. When God's going to say, Slavic I put you within top. 2%, what have you done with the influence, the time, the resources, and the money that, that you had? You, you see, we have this idea that we come to church and we give 10, 10%. And you're like, I can do whatever I want to do with the next 90 That's not what the Bible is saying. What the Bible is saying is that you are distorts with God's money. No, of course, Apostle Paul makes it very clear that like, look, uh, a soldier doesn't pay his own lunch. It's not like, oh, I'm going to give all my, my money away. I'm not going to take care of my family. Actually, Apostle Paul says, look, if you don't take care of your family and you give money like, in, to whatever else, you're like an unbeliever. So yes, take care of your family. Make sure you're doing the things that you're supposed to be doing. But the moment you start to find your identity, the moment you start to look at getting more stuff, more money as a security, cuz here's what we're really saying here. God, I don't trust you that you can provide for me. So I need to big I need to build bigger barns. I have to get more cars, more houses. I have to get cuz I don't trust you that you will provide for me day in, day out. This is what the issue that James is really getting on. And he goes on to say that this stuff that you accumulate right now will testify against you. The things that you were given, God will say, how have you, been, 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 uh, how have you managed rather, the things that I've given, given you? Your talent, your, your influence, your resources, your time, your, everything they have given you. How have you managed that? We will give an account for it and that's that's just a scary thing to think about like literally i felt like this passage i me walking into a pole because i'm like this is this is kind of crazy now when i look at james his life right like if i I talk about john like john that wrote the 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 uh, the gospel of john which is all about love right like it's all about jesus loves you if if john were to describe jesus you'd be like jesus was just so loving he would be kind of like the paul of this place right like he would just like just love on people and just hug people and like that would be john james not so much james is the one who just tells it like it is and if i think if you were to say okay here's my favorite part about jesus jesus walking into the temple got a whip and like said oh you, what have you guys been doing like you guys have been using my temple to exploit the very people they're supposed to worship here that's not gonna go on. that's real christianity that's what james would say He's like that kind of person in your face. He doesn't beat around the bush. He's kind of like a straight shooter, right? Like, he's just like, hey, listen, you need to close your mouth. And like, if you've been putting your trust in this, like, he's not one of those people like, oh, well, how do you really feel about that? Right? Like, no, that's not James. James is straight up. He says, you need to hear this. This will, this, he says, rich people, you need to cry and howl. Like, that's a word that we don't use anymore. (sighs) So he goes on to say this, because here, this gets a lot more difficult. Verse four, it says, for listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated on their pay. The cries of those who will harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord's heaven's armies. So with the second problem he has, first problem, you've been hoarding. Second problem is, is you've been hoarding by and you've been defrauding people. You've been cheating on your taxes. You've been cheating people that have been working for you. You've been doing that and God is watching all of that. God is watching your dishonesty. God sees what you're doing with your employees. He says, and their cries when they come home and they cannot feed their family because you've been cheating them, they reach to me. That's why in James 1.27, we see that him saying that true religion or genuine religion is to take care of the orphan and the widow and to keep yourself unspotted from the world. What he makes it very clear. is like if you are saying that you are a Christian, you have to make sure that you are honest. You make sure that you are using what God is giving you in the right way. Don't hoard it, don't hoard it, and don't defraud people. The second, the, the third thing is, uh, he says, um, uh, verse five, you have spent your years on earthly or on earth in luxury, satisfying every desire you have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. So there, there's two charges here. One, you've been spending, you've been wasting what you've been, what's been given to you to fatten yourself, like I don't, I hope a different translation has more of a soft word, but like this is what it's saying. You've been using that and you've been abusing it and not only that, in the process, people have died. Because they didn't have a uh, welfare system back in the day. And by you not providing the right, you know, wage for your coworkers, or for your workers rather, your employees, that might have caused like them to be poor. That might have cost them to be dead because of it. So he, needless to say, James has a major problem with anybody that thinks he's a, they're a Christian, you know, but then they're not doing it. But here's the good news, because he speaks to the people that have been claiming this, and then he changes perspective a little. And he talks to the people who have been following after Jesus, and they're the ones who are getting defrauded. They're the ones that have been Christians and they're encountering things that they they don't know how to deal with. And he says in verse, you know, seven, he says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you work for the, as the wait for the Lord's return, consider the farmers who patiently await for the rains in the fall, in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble or grumble about each other's brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. So so James is, you know, even though he has this personality, he's like, okay, well, we gotta do something about this, and your face personality, you'd think you'd be like, you know what? You know how we gotta deal with this injustice? We gonna start a Christian coalition. We're gonna start a union and we gotta march for our rights. Like he could have said that, but that's not what he's saying. He says the answer is not for us to unionize and demand our rights. What he's saying here is that. Be patient and wait on the Lord. James, like, seriously? But we're getting clubbered here, James. Like, we're getting... James like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Be patient and wait on the Lord. Now, I think a lot of us have a problem with being patient because, you see, God is patient, but he has all eternity. And we have only a few years. So we're trying to make as much as we in those 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years are like, I gotta get things done. I gotta make a name for myself. I have to make sure that something's named after me. I gotta write a book. I gotta develop a film. I gotta th- let people know that I'm important. Well, Jesus really did ministry for three and he changed the world. Jesus was on the mission, the greatest mission that has ever been in humanity, yet he had time to pause. Yet he was never in a hurry. I mean, think about this. Jairus coming to him and says, Hey, my 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 kid is sick and is about to die. And this this lady touches Jesus, and Jesus is like, Who touched me? And Jairus probably thinking, like, who touched you? Everyone touches you. You know, we have we're on an emergency. We have to go make sure that that my, my kid is getting you know healed. No. Jesus pauses. He's not in a hurry. He is present. One of the things that I really hope that you get out of this message this morning is eliminate hurry out of your life. God has you in this moment, and some of you are thinking, what are we going to have for lunch? (laughs) And what is this guy going to be done already? Or you have, you know, you, after service, you'll see someone that you really want to talk to, and you have somebody that, you know, that kind of ha- has you kind of like verbally handcuffed, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, like let me tell you, I went to Home Depot, and, like, and you're like, I don't care. Uh, so <laughs> and you're really trying to get past them because you really want to talk to somebody else. Can I tell you that that very moment, God ordained that moment the people they've been ignoring to talk to somebody else. Can I tell you, don't be in a hurry. Talk to the per- person in front of you. You know how I know you guys do this? Because I do it. And that's embarrassing to admit. And God had to deal with me. He says I ordained for you to talk to that person. Stop looking for the next thing. Pause, be present. You know, he ordain the next appointment. Be present in those conversations. Jesus was on the greatest mission of his life, of our lives, of humanity's lives. He was in a hurry. He paused. He was present. He was patient. And the reason we don't like to be patient, because it threatens our autonomy, right? Like the whole idea of a, a, like autonomy where we want to be self-governed. We don't want to be dependent. Like, Have you, have you ever waited on people? I'm one of those people like my my friend will call me like hey Slavic I'm leaving my house 3 hours later be like I just left my house and then you like okay I'm like like I'm I'm there and then 45 minutes later and I'm like can't you just tell me cuz I got things to do and I would get so mad I'm like why are you telling me that you're coming but you're not coming like and it was just like, it's so hard. And the reason we have problems with waiting, like if you're waiting on your spouse or on your, uh, your friend or whatever, right? Like the reason is because it makes you dependent on that person. It slows you down. But God's like, you know what? I want you to be patient with me. I'm gonna bring the breakthrough in my time, not yours, my time. I'm gonna make this go away in my time, not your time, my time. That's what God is saying. And as an as a, as a illustration, he says, consider the people that came before you. They didn't get everything that they were promised. They had to wait. I mean, think about this. Abraham had to wait until he was very old, until he had his first son. Right? Like, until he had a son. Right? Like, he had to really wait. Isaac had to wait to get married a long time. Go look it up. It's a long time. Right? Like, it, it's just... You know, you see it over and over and over, but then you see, for example, Job. Job, who, who was so kind, and he would offer sacrifice just, just in case his, his friends were, I mean, his, his sons would, would sin. He, he would be so good with the Lord, and then out of nowhere, somebody comes like, oh, yep, all your family's dead, and all your cattle is dead, and you lost everything, and then boils break all over his body, I wonder where the prosperity gospel fit into this. God has great plans for your life. (laughs) He's got amazing, amazing plans for your life. Really? Because I've been really dealing with this. And the only person who can actually come to me physically and offer me some solution comes to me, my wife, and comes like, why don't you just curse God and die? Well, thanks, honey. That is nice. But I love how he says in a few chapters before, he says, But I know that my Redeemer lives. And on that day, I'm going to encounter him. You know the crazy thing about this story with Job and James mentions this is think about Job, like how much he suffered. But you know the crazy thing about Job is that he goes on for 37 chapters, 37 chapters asking God why? Why has this happened? And the 38 chapter, I'm going to read it to you because it's very interesting to say the least. Uh, You know, it, God replies back finally and says this, then the Lord answered to Job from the whirlwind, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Right, like brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much, who determined its dimensions and stretched out its, out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? Who laid its cornerstone? As the morning star sank together and all the angels shouted for joy. And he goes on for 129 verses with 128 questions. And you know what? He doesn't answer any of Job's questions. You know what God is saying? I don't even know if Job even found out what really happened. God's like, okay, well, if you think you're so smart, if you think you've been suffering, what were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? If you think you're so good, God never answers Job's question. Job suffered and he didn't even know why. And when God spoke, he didn't answer, but just asked him back, okay, listen, what God was saying, I'm God and you aren't. There's things that I see that you don't. I see things from a different perspective than you do. What you see is just a small piece of the puzzle. I see the whole thing and the great scheme of things. This will make sense right now. It does not. And James says, look at Job in your affliction and your suffering. Look how he has dealt with it. He was patient and he has waited. You see, God's design for suffering is to strengthen your faith. The enemy's design for suffering is to destroy your faith. God doesn't care about the car that you drive and doesn't care about all those things. What he cares is about your soul. What he cares about is to make sure that you are saved to make sure that he delivers you, that the work that he started in you, and he'll use all means by it. And some, some of you will go on to be very successful in business, but I hope that in that business, you are godly. You're not defrauding. You're not cheating on your taxes. You're not cheating on your employees. I hope that you're using the, the talents and the gifts that God has given you to better the people around you. And not only that, to proclaim the gospel at the ends of the earth. I hope that as a church, we are doing that. Wealth, like I mentioned, is not a great master, but is a great servant. You see, if I gave you a million dollars, you will only emphasize what you already are inside. If I gave an investor a million dollars, what do you think they're gonna do with it? They're gonna invest that money. If you gave a missionary a million dollars, what do you think a missionary is gonna do with it? He's gonna do missions. And if you gave a crook a million dollars, what do you think he's gonna do with it? He's gonna, do, he's gonna try some other stuff. Some other scheme or con job. You see, money, power, fame already just magnifies what you have inside. That is what James is saying here. If you serve it, it will just kind of bring to the surface. I mean, if you go and look the statistics on the people who've won the lottery, I don't personally believe in a Christian playing the lottery because I feel that exploits the poor because most people that buy lottery tickets are poor. But... You can have your own views on that, I'm just saying, you have the right to be wrong. I'm joking, like, <laughs> like I should not be saying that from the stage. But like, I think that there's a good evidence compel that, that a lot of the lottery buying tickets is exploding the poor, and I, I choose not to invest my money into that. But what I'm telling you is that if you go look at the statistics, the people that, that have won the lottery, their lives weren't that great after. Some of them actually went bankrupt you know what happens when everyone in your family and your friends start asking for money and you become an object of money, not necessarily of, hey, a person to be loved? It destroys people. So James saying, look, if you've been doing this, stop this. But if you've been suffering under this, know that one day God will put to right everything, every wrong that was done to you. It's payday one day. Everyone's gonna have their judgment in court and in your suffering, understand that your patience produces perseverance and that changes your character. That's what God is really after and he closes with with this passage and he says, for example, of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look on the prophets who spoke of the name of the Lord, who uh, who we give great honor to those who endured under suffering. For instance, you would know about Job a man of great endurance you can see how the Lord was kind to him in the end and the Lord is full of tenderness but most of all brothers and sisters never take an oath by heaven or by anything else just a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. This last verse says look make sure your yes is yes your no is no. Pay what you promised. Don't talk bad about your boss. What he's saying here is don't say, yeah, but no, but no, yes or no. Be simple in your replies. Don't complicate things. Don't try to get your own way. Don't try to agree just to win that person over and to scheme them. Don't do any of this stuff because in in, in multitude of, of words, there's also sin. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. You know why? Because God will make it right one day. Just like God gave Job everything double what he had. One day, all of the suffering that you've been going through, all of the patience that you've been putting up with, all of that will make sense. One day he'll bring you where he always wanted to bring you, but you were kicking and screaming on the way. What an amazing God that we have. That Even in our kicking and our screaming, he still drags you. (laughs) Of course, he doesn't impede on our free will and so on and so forth, but what I want to say is that he doesn't give up on us. So this morning, if you are here and you have not made Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to make sure that you don't look at him just as a friend or a vending machine to put your prayer in and get your stuff out. No, Jesus is Lord, and if you have not been making him, if you have not been worshiping him, you'll worship money, you'll worship fame, power, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is that is not Jesus, and although those things will, be, will leave you heartbroken, in, in the end, you will have to give an account for your life. So I'm going to pray for two kinds of people. If you've not made Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to pray with you that you might receive him. And then maybe those two contrasts, maybe they spoke to you. Maybe you came here and you've been actually cheating on your taxes and your employees and you've been rude to people and you've not been giving them your time and so on and so forth. That God would deal with you and you would feel convicted. And seek repentance but if you on the other hand you've been wronged and you feel like it's so it's so hard to be patient when you know you're right when you know that they've been wronging you the whole time guys like no, no 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 vengeance is mine trust me on this allow me to do this so i'm gonna have our prayer partners if you are praying team you guys can come up Uh, And I'm going to ask you to just kind of close your eyes right now. We're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you after to stand up. And if you have a need or if you've been making uh, the trip here, but you have not made Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'd like to pray with you. I'd love to get to know who you are. Thank you for listening to Eternal Stance. My hope is that these messages will help you to live in light of eternity. If this podcast is a blessing to you, would you share with other people? Thank you in advance. And until next time, God bless you.